0: Welcome to the Nerd Party.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland.
0: And I'm the other host, Asia Bonilla. We're back this week starting our new series, The Secrets of the Immortal, Nicholas Flamel. Today we're discussing the first half of the first book, The Alchemist. Specifically today we'll be talking about chapters 1 through 21. And I think that we don't have to call ourselves a new show anymore because we've been doing it for 10 weeks now.
1: Wow, it's already been 10 weeks. Well, it's really been flying by, at least for me. I've been having so much fun and it's new fun now because we're doing a new series that I've read. So it's a completely different approach for me, but it's been really fun. So just for anyone else who is new to the show, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network, and we're best friends, and we've been reading or rereading young adult literature from our childhood and adolescence, and we're sharing these books with each other.
0: We started the show with the series that I'd read before, Percy Jackson, and Charles read it for the first time. And now we've moved on to the Flamel books, which is a series that Charles has read and I'm reading for the first time. And the person who is new to the books gets to summarize the reading, so it looks like I'll be on summary duty for the next 12 weeks.
1: Have fun with that.
0: So, we meet Josh and Sophie Newman, who are twins and in approximately the 10th grade, who are working across the street from each other in San Francisco for the summer. One day, a man named Dr. John D shows up and fights with Josh's boss with some kind of magical powers. By the way, it turns out that Josh's boss is Nicholas Flamel, the 600-year-old alchemist. Dee escapes with the Codex, a very important magical book, and Nicholas's wife, Perenelle, being held hostage. The twins and Flamel go to meet up with Skahak. I looked up how to pronounce this, but she goes by Scatty, so I will solely be referring to her as Scatty for the rest of this podcast who is of the Elder race, and she's also a multi-thousand-year-old warrior. This crew of four is chased to the home of the goddess Hikate. hopefully I'm saying that right too, where they prepare for D to invade and attack with the help of the Dark Elders, the Morgan and Bastet. So I'll just get into my first impressions really quick, and... I would definitely say this book is starting out way creepier than Percy Jackson and I feel like it's a lot more complex. There's a lot more things going on, a lot more, I feel like there's way more references to history and because in Percy Jackson it was mainly just focusing on how Greek mythology fits into our modern world whereas this I feel like they talk a lot about a lot of things and Something else I wanted to point out is that we've talked about a lot in during the Percy Jackson series that we would love to see certain scenes on the screen. And I know based on what we've read so far in this book, I don't think I'd want to see this because it seems like it would be a horror movie. There's just way more to me, like scary creatures and monsters, like even the scenes with like the rats and the like to me, that just sounds gross. Like that's at least how I feel so far. We're only halfway through the first book, but we'll see if that changes.
1: Okay, well, um I disagree with that. I don't think it's that scary. Horror movie seems a little extreme. I mean, I would definitely agree that it's got more of a it's got a different vibe, for sure. But and there's definitely gonna be more of like history and other characters and so we will get that. It's gonna be less just mythology, and you'll definitely get more of that as the books go on. But and I would say it's darker, but I don't know if I would go as far as to say horror.
0: I guess it's more like, it's just like how, in ha- I know Harry Potter's all of a sudden horror either, but Harry Potter has a lot more, ske- like they have big spiders, like things like that, which I feel like is going to be more in this book. So I'm not going to enjoy that as much. So for me, I will enjoy reading it, but I wouldn't enjoy seeing that on the screen, which is why I've read the Harry Potter books, but I don't, I haven't watched all the movies.
1: Pitiful. We have to work on that. We have to fix that. <laughs> They're not even scary okay, movies. continue. Anyway, <laughs> I picked out this series because... It's actually one of the seri- the book series that my older brother, he read them, and it made him interested in reading. So being a younger brother, of course, I just wanted to copy what my older brother was doing. And then, in fact, I was reading, looking at my edition, and it turns out they have his name in them. So, whoops, I have his books. And I always knew I wanted to reread these at one point because I have a project that I wanted to work on while reading them. And I'll get to that at the end of the episode. So now is a good chance to do that. And I like the idea of doing another mythology series because Percy Jackson was mythology. So we kind of have like a little bit of a mythology unit on the podcast, two different approaches to modern mythology. And then we'll move on to something completely different next. But I think that timing wise, the real reason I want to use these books is because I'm pretty sure while you were reading Percy Jackson, I was reading this series, which means that like over a decade ago before we knew each other on opposite sides of the world we were reading these two series so i think that's kind of fun and i was like that's a good way to open our podcast." but yes it's definitely a lot more sinister than percy jackson and congrats on your first summary i think we can get right into the reading there's actually not a lot of plot per se there's a lot of exposition which makes sense it's you know our first you know we're getting into a new world So if you do have any questions at any point, Asia, just ask me. And if I can answer them without spoiling or know the answer, let me know. I'll be as helpful as I can.
0: Okay, I will definitely do that as we go along through this.
1: Oh, and quickly, I... Pronunciations again. (laughs) I always thought her name was Scottok. But I'm just going to call her Scatty too because she hates being called with that.
0: Well, I looked it up and it almost sounded more like like how they, the German, like you always speak German, like how more in the back of your throat. I, def- I definitely can't <laughs> say it like that. So I literally, when I read the name in the book, I was like, oh, they gave her a nickname. Perfect. That's what I'll be calling her forever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and Hecate, they they gave us pronunciation of Hecate in the reading. Yeah. They didn't I sp- give it for anyone else.
0: I specifically wrote it down. So I was like, oh, perfect. They actually gave us how to pronounce it. I still feel like I'm saying it wrong, but they gave it to us.
1: I mean, I feel like we said it wrong on Percy Jackson for the whole series, so you're all good. Oh,
0: for sure. But we start with meeting the twins, and then immediately the, bo- the bookstore that Josh works in gets attacked. And Sophie finds out that the men she was looking at are golems, which are men made of clay, which means I assume that they must melt in the sun, which explains why they were wearing winter attire like big coats and hats in the middle of summer in San Francisco. And I wanted to point out from the beginning, we can clearly see that Sophie is not afraid of danger, especially when it comes to her twin brother, because as the bookstore is being attacked, she follows right behind Paranel into the exploding bookstore. And we later find out that Sophie and Josh both seem to be pretty brave because they both seem to be trying to fight these magical beings without having any idea what they are and what they're capable of. So I thought that was just something clear about their characters from the get-go.
1: Yeah, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. And also I'd like to see here as you read what you see the relationship between Sophie and Josh because we sort of started getting some hints like there were two or three moments where they kind of like could tell what the other one was thinking without vocalizing it. And it's one thing to like be close with your sibling and, you know, I don't have a twin, but apparently like everything I've ever heard, like, you know, when you're close with a twin, you have another level of understanding. But The two of them are, yeah, completely fearless where the other one's danger is concerned. And they do, if I remember correctly, do have, like, a bond that is slightly stronger than just, like, knowing each other's thoughts. Like, sometimes they can, like, be in each other's thoughts. And I want to see if, like, maybe I'm wrong about that or maybe it's, like, because it's only been subtle so far. But, like, let's see if we can keep an eye on that because I think that will continue to be throughout the series.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, what I just took was the idea of twins, usually, especially when they're close, they do kind of have that bond that it's like they know what each other's thinking. They can finish each other's sentences. So I didn't take it as anything special yet, but I'm sure if it is, we'll find out. And I also just wanted to mention, as soon as I found out there were twins in this book, I, for me, when I have kids, I've always wanted twins, especially I'd want a boy and a girl twin. So These are like my dream children right here. So I'm so
1: sweet. I love Josh and Sophie. Yeah. I want twins, but I want two boys. So
0: I just like the relationship between twins. So I always wanted that. (laughs) Anyway, so then in the bookstore, Dee and his golems steal Nick's book and Perry, since she seems to be tied to the Codex. Which I don't know if you can answer that for me yet. I don't know if they're going to reveal it later. But I was just like, they kind of hint that she's tied to it in some way, but it's not really clear why she has to be with
1: it. So it's not actually that. Dee just takes Perenelle because she's like way, way powerful. And he takes her because if he can get her out of commission, it'll be harder for Flamel to chase after the Codex. And they sort of said that, but it wasn't quite as clear. And, like, I could definitely see how reading it for the first time, you would think that he felt like she was essential. I mean, she and Nick are both tied to the Codex and that, like, if they don't get the Codex back within a month, they'll die because they need to brew Mm -hmm. the elixir of life. But strategically, D takes Paranel because she's, like, the best sorceress in the series. And you already immediately get the approach that, like, D is chasing Flamel. Flamel is not chasing D. And if D had taken the codex but left Perry, like Perry and Nicholas probably could take the codex back from D. But by taking Perinelle's magic away from the. Because she's like, I mean, we've already seen her do some pretty incredible things and wait till you yeah. get to book three. I think it's book three where she does the most amazing, like awesome stuff. She's really, really powerful. And so getting her away from Nicholas is really the strategical choice. Okay. Yeah, but I can see where you would think, like, because he immediately takes the book and her, like, no explanation. (laughs) Okay, that makes more
0: sense. Yeah,
1: totally. I think we have a lot of exposition right now, and I think rather than, like, doing it as it comes in chapter, why don't we just dump it all out so that we have a little more of an understanding, and then we can, like, breeze through the rest of it.
0: Yeah, can you just cover it so I don't miss anything, and then I can ask you some questions if I have them?
1: Sure. I mean, you did that for me when we did Percy Jackson, so the least I can yeah. do. So we basically have Nicholas Flamel. He's the alchemist, was a real person. You know, you can Google all these people. They're real. His wife, Perenelle, and they've been kept alive because of the elixir of life, which they learned how to brew because Nicholas owns the Codex, the book of Abraham the Mage. She's a super powerful sorceress, like I said, and he, like I said, is the best and most famous alchemist in the history of the world. Dr. John D. also a real person, also look him up. Like, when Josh is Googling them, like, they're real people. You could actually see them. Obviously, they don't live today, but, you know, they're this is historical fiction in many ways. And he's their main antagonist. He's a bad guy. He's been trying to steal the Codex from the Flamels for a couple hundred of years because he is also immortal. Unlike Flamel, though, he was granted his immortality by a god, a.k.a. an elder. And we have the Plain Elders and the Dark Elders. The Dark Elders want to rule over humans, and D works for a Dark Elder. And we also get multiple hints, and I think this continues in future books, that some of the Dark Elders eat humans, so that's gross. And we also find out that magic in this world works by basically everyone having an aura around their body, and they can control their aura if they're trained as magic. So it's called auric energy, but basically it's just magic. And... Now, Dee has stolen most of the Codex, and he's almost able to summon the Dark Elders out of hiding. So that's kind of where we are. I think that's enough exposition to get us going.
0: You said that... So are all the characters... His, like, they're from history? Like, they're real people? Yeah. Like, Nicholas Flamel. Because I know they talk about uh, John D. how he was the, the magician, magician for... Like. Yeah, for Queen Elizabeth. But I didn't get that necessarily from all of the characters. So I think that's really interesting.
1: Yeah. If you Google Nicholas Flamel right now, you'll see, um, like he was a very famous person. He's also like the whole crux of the first Harry Potter book. Cause he's also immortal in cause like alchemy, which is, you know, not a real thing, but alchemy is the fictitious and in medieval times, they thought it was real is the study of one, the elixir of life and turning regular metals into gold. And you do that with the sorcerer's in Harry Potter, the Sorcerer's Stone is what gives you the elixir of life and the Sorcerer's Stone. Like not only were the flamel's a real people, but they're also in a lot of fiction because alchemy is not real, but it's fictitious and so it fits into a lot of fiction. But so there were actually flamel
0: people. was mentioned in Harry Potter because I remember how they, they talk about the Philosopher's Stone and stuff. Is Yes? It, he's mentioned in Harry Potter, right?
1: Yes. He's even okay. in the new Fantastic Beasts movie. But, like, it wasn't really, like, well done. But, no, in the first Harry Potter, big reveal is, like, when Harry's on the train the first time, sorry, we're getting sidetracked, but, you know, you get me going on Harry Potter. I can't stop. (laughs) Harry reads Dumbledore's magic chocolate frog card, and he's, like, and one of Dumbledore's accomplishments is being good friends and his work with noted alchemist Nicholas Flamel. And then later, when he, Ron, and Hermione are trying to figure out what Fluffy's guarding— they realize that it's Flamel's stone because someone else, like, hands Harry a Dumbledore chocolate frog card, and he rereads it. And then they realize that it's the stone.
0: Wow. Okay. So back to the Sorry. current book, The Alchemist.
1: Back to our current book.
0: <laughs> I wrote a little note. I don't even remember. This was near the beginning because – the character Josh, he makes a comment about how, like, oh gosh, I don't believe in magic. And I was like, well, it's very clear magic is going to be central to this series, this story. So I just thought that was funny.
1: Yeah, when you, when I was reading your notes for the outline, I was like, I have to find a way to include that because that was really funny. Like, poor Josh, there's going to be a lot of magic. The second book in the series is literally called The Magician.
0: <laughs> so then, can you check if I've got this right? So Nicholas Lamont, he has the Codex or the Book of Mage. And in it, there are spells and stuff to do magic. And every month, he casts a spell so him and Paranel can stay immortal. And they've been using their many hundreds of years to fight evil. And Josh, during the bookstore explosion and everything, Josh was able to rip out two of the most important pages out of the book. So D is... Going to come looking for them, which is not very lucky for them.
1: That's correct. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And just so we can get into more magic world building. Basically, we find out that humans have an aura around themselves that they can manipulate, and that's where their magic comes from. And the aura has a specific color, and the humans have a specific smell that their magic takes on. And they have some level of control. The auras, they don't get to pick, but they do kind of have a little bit of control over the smell. But it's more about your personality than anything else. Um, So we find out that D his aura, is yellow, and his aura smells like sulfur or brimstone. And Nicholas, his aura is green, and it smells like peppermint. Later on, we find out that Paranel's is white, which is very rare and very special. And the twins have the most rare auras, which are gold and silver. And as we go down, we find out that uh, Josh, his aura is gold, and it smells like oranges. And Sophie's is silver, and it smells like vanilla ice cream. So you already know that I will be tracking the colors and the smells. Because we get some really gross ones in the... And some really cool ones. I can't remember what Paranel smells like. I don't know if we even get told it, but... I don't
0: think so. I don't think we've
1: gotten told it yet.
0: It's just so weird to me that their auric energy has a smell. Like, I just feel like that's not a concept I've ever heard before.
1: Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me that there's, like, a little bit of a trail because it's kind of used as, like, a way to trace people, like, their magic. It's And it's part of their signature. The same way, like, someone might, like, have a flourish if they were using a wand or something like that. Like, it's part of the way they leave behind a trail. But I don't know. I guess.
0: It's just something, like, when I think of other magical stories, they're like, they never talk about it smelling. So I just thought that was cool, something different. Definitely. But I also wanted to ask you, if you have an answer, when Paranel talks to the ghost and how she Mm -hmm. talks about how she's shielded her aura, her white aura with different Mm -hmm. colors so that she can keep the ghosts away normally most of the time. I was just wondering, like, are they going to discuss how she's able to do that? Like, she's just able to cover up with other colors?
1: Yeah, I don't know if we get an exact thing, and it might come again, like I said, in the third book, because the third book is, like, a major Paranel book, but I might... I think, if I remember correctly, and we'll see when we get there, but I think it's just that she's really talented. She's the seventh daughter of a seventh daughter, which is very special. Number seven is obviously huge in magic books. Like, not just this one. Seven is always a big number. And the, so she's, she's already naturally gifted, and the white aura is really rare. So I think it's more that she can, like, imitate having a colorful aura but she's in complete control of that. And it's just because she's really talented. I don't think we've gotten like a a direct explanation yet.
0: Okay. Well, in that case, I'd want to be her. She sounds pretty freaking cool.
1: Wait till we get to book three. This is, yeah, <laughs> I love Perry. She's awesome. Also, this leads us to an obvious question. What color aura would you have and what would it smell like? What about me? Should we do each other's or our own's?
0: Let's do our own because I already know mine.
1: Okay. <laughs> I Go think
0: ahead. my aura would be a mix of pastel pink and blue because I don't really have a favorite color, but my favorite grouping of colors are pastel colors. And then I think it would smell like cotton candy or something really sweet because I'm a very bubbly and silly person and sweet. So that would be mine.
1: I would have said pink or yellow for you, like a pale or like, yellow. sunflower yellow for you. Yeah but definitely pink was up there and I didn't know what smell. So that makes perfect sense. The cotton candy is definitely, I see that for me. I'm not really sure. I think that mine would probably be something like an ice blue, like almost white, almost silver, but like definitely has a blue undertone or something in like the turquoise range because that, that would be definitely be, personality wise color like that's just my profile of colors <laughs> and for smells uh i don't really know i feel like somehow maybe coffee would have to figure into it
0: yeah it would just be which weird. Feels like a
1: basic answer
0: it would just be weird it doesn't it be match much, my color yeah you'd need like <laughs> i because if you did like an icy blue or something like i would think like minty kind of like nicholas but yeah
1: Maybe like a winter mint, but I'm not really sure. Do you have any other guesses for me? Because. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like the color is definitely in like the cold color family for me.
0: Yeah. So. And cold only makes me think of mint.
1: <laughs> maybe snow. Like or maybe smell. mine would smell like snow. Like that fresh falling snow. Because that is a like a very special smell to me. If smells can be special. I don't know. Maybe it would smell like oat milk. Who knows?
0: Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Anyway, let's move on from auras. But like I said, we're going to keep an eye on them.
0: Okay, so besides magic world building, we also get some real world building. We find out that D is the classic tale that he was an apprentice for Flamel very briefly, and, of course, he betrayed him and was using him. So... D has chased Flamel throughout history for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's actually, their chasing has caused some of the biggest disasters in European history, such as Ireland's Great Famine in the 1840s and the Great Fire of London. So after learning that, our, crow, our crew goes to meet Scatty, at which point it's revealed that the twins are Red Belts in Taekwondo, which I think was just like, okay, well, so they can fight.
1: Yeah, but it's not overpowered. It's not like Percy Powers where, like, you know, he can just, like, all of a sudden be a master swordsman. Like, they're not fully black belts yet, but it is something that they've been, like, working on the whole time. So, yes, good that they have some practical skills. And we get Scatty. I love Scatty. She's one of my favorite characters. She's with our crew, basically, for the whole series, if I remember correctly. And we can skip a, this will be like a little bit of expo skipping ahead, but we find out that she's a next generation elder, so she's not a top tier god. She's still a mortal, she's still a god, but she's not like the most powerful. She's also, her family is a family line of vampires, and vampires are next generation god elders. And she's a vegetarian though. Their Their family line is vegetarian, they don't eat meat. But there are some that do eat humans, but she's not. And most importantly, we find out that she is a fierce warrior. They call her the warrior maid, like a bunch. Also, I believe if you look her up, she's a, a Celtic goddess that people believed in. And that she's trained a bunch of really cool warriors, most notably Joan of Arc. And we will come back to that in the next book, I'm sure. And let me see if there's anything else I need to say on Scaddy. She's just really awesome. Oh, and her weapon of choice, which we haven't seen too much of yet, but is a nunchuck. And that's pretty fierce.
0: <laughs> so she's a vampire. Yes. But she says she's a vegetarian vampire. Is Does that mean like how like in Twilight, like they drink blood from animals or like she actually eats vegetables?
1: She's only a vegetarian. Like she doesn't so, drink animal blood. She
0: doesn't drink blood at all. No. She just eats vegetables.
1: Correct. Or, they're, like, not meat. Correct. There are vampires in the series. I don't know if we actually see any of them, but that, that do eat meat. But she, like, her family line is completely vegetarian because they're much more allied with humans.
0: So does that mean then that, like, this idea of her as a vampire, then they're just vampires because they're immortal? Because I obviously, like, my idea of vampire means they, they have, have to, to drink, drink some blood, kind of blood. blood,
1: yeah. Um, I can't exactly remember, but I think it has to do with, like, her parentage. Like, I think that, like, what the elder that she's descendant from was, like, the first blood-drinking. I can't remember exactly, but I think we will get an explanation. But basically, like, just, yeah. there is an explanation as to what makes her a vampire. Because, yes, clearly she's, like, like, you know, vampires drink blood. Like, that's what defines a vampire.
0: Well, exactly. That's why I'm just curious, because also, like, this idea of obviously other books or stories with vampires that choose to not drink human blood. They still have to drink blood in some way or they won't survive. Like they'll die because it's different from hunger. It's a thirst. So I was just, obviously, Twilight's one of my favorite books. It's about vampires. So I was curious if just if they were going to explain that. So hopefully we'll get an explanation.
1: Yeah, I think we do at some point. It just has to do with like the clan that she's descendant from. But something about like, her lineage makes her a vampire. And she does have that vampire characteristic of having to be invited in. hmm And I think it's, like, that she could drink blood, but her clan chooses not to because of their relationship with humans. But I hope we will get an explanation, because that's something I never thought about as a kid. I was just like, oh, she's a nice vampire.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we can skip ahead some more. And Dee meets up with the Morrigan, who, like Scatty, is a next-generation elder. And she's basically an evil bird lady. And since she is an evil bird lady, I just noted that, of course, she's dressed in head-to-toe black leather. But okay. Of course. And all the crows on the Golden Gate Bridge that attack the four crew in the car, It that whole like scene just reminded me of the movie... The Birds, directed by Alfred H- Alfred Hitchcock. I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but it just – because honestly, I remember when I watched that movie, because it's so old, it's kind of funny, honestly, like the acting and everything with all the birds. But in this scene, in the book, to me, that sounded way scarier.
1: Way scarier. Yeah. I've never it's, seen the Hitchcock movie. I've seen excerpts, but I was like, oh, God, yeah, no, birds terrifying.
0: Well, also because, Charles, aren't you, like, terrified of birds? I'm not
1: – terrified of birds i
0: still wait quick memory i still remember like freshman year or something when we went to the met and outside the met there's like these big fountains and there's tons of birds and you know we're just sitting chilling on the met steps and charles keeps running away and screaming because the birds keep flying around and he's afraid they're gonna peck his eyes out i don't know so you're definitely close you're definitely kind of afraid
1: of birds i'm definitely somewhat afraid of birds i would not like this scene i like the mice are gross. The rats are gross, but the birds probably would have freaked me out a little more, mostly because oh, birds are no. bigger. The
0: the bird, I mean, not the rats for sure would be way grosser. We should we should watch the birds movie by Alfred I, we can we watch talk, the I birds feel like movie. you, I feel like you would be more afraid. Whereas I remember watching it, I was laughing because it was just so ridiculous. Like how <laughs> many birds there were, and people were like, like, there's like a scene where they're like all running, and they're like, ah, and you're like why would you run outside when there's a thousand <laughs> birds? They're going to attack you. So, I would just like to see, because I feel like you would be afraid, whereas I'd just be laughing. Okay,
1: and then we can watch (laughs) Harry Potter after that, so you can watch the spiders. No, thank you. You can't make me watch one and then not the other.
0: That doesn't compare.
1: Okay, well, I did like that Sophie just turned on the windshield wipers to get rid of the birds. Like, that was very cute and clever, and of course, something like Flamel or Scatty would never think of. She's like, there's a bird on the windshield, let me just remove it. It was very cute. (sighs)
0: But then, Flamel, he makes a phone call for wind, and I know when I was reading that, I was a little confused because can he just call in the elements whenever he wants? Like, he phoned in a request for wind and it came?
1: Not quite. It kind of seems like that, but there's a detail a little later on that explains it. But did you notice that when he makes a phone call, the wind has a smell?
0: No, I did not what was what was the smell it smells
1: like pomegranates which also would be a really great scent for me for my aura by the way but um it wouldn't match get blue or white or ice but yeah it smells like pomegranates which was my tip off that it's actually auric energy and we find out when he get when they get to hecate's realm that she's the one who sent it
0: okay. it's like one
1: sentence where flamel's like thanks for sending that wind and she's like i'm now mean again like
0: well, I got once they went to Hecate that she had sent it, but I definitely I missed the part where it said it smelled like pomegranate. I, oh, now I remember, because they all are like, you know, is that when they like, maybe that was when the birds came. I just remember them like sticking their heads at the window, and they're like, the smell. Yeah, that's I think it. That, that's the part. I just missed what it was.
1: No worries. Oh, I mean, I also, like, it, I, don't think it had, I don't think it had been quite explained yet that each person has a separate smell. Like I obviously knew that, and like we'd gotten the indications of they the smells, it, but maybe once they, they hadn't explained. Yeah, it's when they awaken they the get auras. To,
0: yeah, when they go to the shadow realm and they smell the oranges and the vanilla ice cream, that's when they explain it. So before, I'm just like, I don't know why they keep talking about these weird smells. But, yeah, that makes so sense. I definitely that, wouldn't have no wonder caught you it. wouldn't
1: have caught that. Of course, because I knew what I was expecting. I was like, oh, there's a smell. Got be magic. Also,
0: because they keep talking about how Sophie, from working in the coffee shop, she's, like, gotten this great palette for all these smells. So I figured that was why they kept talking about it, because she's become one of those bougie people that's like, oh, I can smell this. So I didn't realize it had actually anything to do with the thing. So yeah. that makes me more sense.
1: Yeah, no wonder. You're all good.
0: So then we enter the shadow realm of Hecate, which is basically a mini world all for herself that can be accessed from our world. And she's the goddess of magic and the three faces, like the one we had in Percy Jackson. And she sent the pomegranate wind, obviously.
1: Yep, it's the same one we had in Percy Jackson. So we're going to have a couple god overlap things, but we'll get to them a little more as we go. But yeah, this is her shadow realm, and hers includes the... Yggdrasil, I think that's how you pronounce it, which is the Tree of Life or the World Tree. And that's important because obviously the Tree of Life, like, has lots of powers. And I think it will come back either this book or later on. But the Shadow Realm, like, will be back in it, definitely. And I think, like, the Yggdrasil, I think that's also, like, a pretty common name for the Tree of Life. I think, like, if you Google that word, I think it'll pop up other things. Like, I think that maybe in Thor, they have an Yggdrasil. But I... I could be completely bonkers right now,:
0: I mean, it probably is because when I was typing the notes into my phone, I was like, "I don't know how to say this," and it autocorrected to like what it was. It was spelled it, I think it had one less L than it does in the book, but it autocorrected it. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Siri or the iPhone knew what the word was, but yeah, the the tree seemed definitely kind of scary too, more horror movie things for me in my opinion.
1: Oh, my God, it's not horror at all. It's so... Expi- I'm, I'm looking it up right now. The Yggdrasil is part of North, Norse mythology, and it's a sacred tree, including nine worlds inside of it.
0: I just was when Sophie and Josh, their stupid escape, which we're about to get to, when they are, like, walking through, they, like, hide. Like, there's a moment where they say something passes by, and once it leaves, like, all the candles or lights have turned, like, blood red... And they're like, well, glad we didn't see what that was. Like, I was like, horror movie. Horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving on. It's not
1: a horror movie. Well, we do get a prophecy. And the Codex has a special prophecy, which Flamel thinks is about the twins. It's not going to, this book isn't going to be like Percy Jackson, where there's a prophecy for each book. This is the prophecy for the whole series, and we're going to be dealing with it the whole time. Also, because it's a lot less clear of what it sort of means. But... Basically, we find out that Flamel brought them to Hecate so that she could train them. And the lines of the prophecy are, there will come a time when the book is taken, and the queen's man is allied with the crow. The elder will step out of the shadows, and the immortal must train the mortal. The two that are one must become the one that is all. So we clearly have gotten all the components. Book is taken, queen's man is D, allied with the crow, elder step out of the shadows, it's going to be Bastet. And Immortal must train the mortal. That's Flamel training the twins. The two that are one that must become the one that is all. We will not find out what that is until the sixth book. Like, full stop. It's just going to be... This is our prophecy for the whole series. And we're going to deal with it a lot. Um, I'm not going to say any more than that right now. But just... Like, also, something that I appreciate about this series, if I remember correctly, is that the twins really don't love Prophecy. And they don't love being like, it is being assumed that they must be like the twins of this prophecy. They don't take to it that well. And I think that's how I would feel too if my whole world had been disturbed. As we know from listening to the podcast, I don't like prophecies.
0: Yeah. So while we're on Hecate, can I just say that (laughs) Josh is mistaking. The old lady, like, getting confused that it wasn't the same person. I saw that coming right from the beginning. I mean, I didn't understand why she was an old lady, but I was like, well, it still has to be Hecate. Like, they said, like, she didn't come out. There's only one person. It has to be her. So I just thought that was pitiful. But, like I said, I didn't know that the three faces meant that she ages throughout the day, from a maiden in the morning to a matron in the afternoon to a crone in the evening. So I thought that was interesting. And then we get some more world building and we learn that iron nullifies magic and it is deadly to the elder race. But because Scatty is next generation elder and not pure elder, she can bear to be around iron and she can also be near the codex.
1: Yeah, so that will be important just for the rest of the series, but iron, because it's man made, is particularly toxic to elders. So they can't be around it. Pure generation elders. So that's Hecate or Bastet. We'll learn. We'll meet many, many more. But they can't be around iron because Scatty is second generation. She's able to tolerate it. And the Codex, because it was made during the generation of the elders, and it's for humans. It also elders can't be around that. And Hecate mentions that when Flamel pay, like ha- holds out the two pages, she like runs away because they can't be around it. So just to know. I think the iron is going to be more important than the book itself. Like, I don't think that any elders come in contact with the book, but elders don't like iron. And we find out that in order to fulfill the Codex prophecy, Flamel needs to awaken the twins and train them in the five elemental magics.
0: It also, I wanted to point out that it makes sense that the twins would be of the prophecy since their parents are archaeologists. So they already know a lot about myths and legends, and it's more likely that they're going to be familiar with the elders and other characters that they're probably going to encounter, I'm assuming, throughout the series.
1: Yep. That's definitely something to keep an eye on. I don't want to spoil anything, but I think that we're going to get some more on that, I think, in book six as well. Very important, cool detail that the parents are archaeologists, but I'm not saying anymore. Okay. Also, because they don't really remember.
0: Okay. So I also had a moment that I wanted to mention specifically while they're in a tree, while they're in the tree, because where do Sophie and Josh think they're going to go? They already explained to them that now that they've been touched by magic, D will easily be able to find them and kill them. And everyone they've ever met, known, whatever. So their best bet at this point is staying with Flamel and Scatty, two magical beings who can protect them, train them, whatever. So I just, I just thought that their whole plan of we have to get out of here, like their panic moment was just not obviously well thought out. And the fact of when they finally get to the car, they didn't think about the fact that they mention right when they get there that the Shadow Realm drains, the magic drains all energy. So, of course, the car battery would be dead because it was drained from the magic. So I was just like, that whole scene to me was a little idiotic. (laughs) Maybe that's too harsh, but I just was thinking the whole time, I was like, this isn't going to work.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're young, so I give them that. But it it was not a great plan because we're like, we literally just saw him destroy a storefront. He just destroyed a storefront and kidnapped a woman. With huge clay, and you guys were attacked by these scary birds. Like, you know that this is a real threat. Like, you think the people who've been trying to keep you alive this whole time probably are going to try to keep you alive. Like, I wrote that down, too. I was like, I don't remember them trying to escape when I read it the first time. I was like, this is poor logic on their part.
0: Well, but also, I think that
1: kind of—oh, go ahead.
0: I was just going to mention, too, they told them—or Scatty, before they go to bed, she's like, whatever you do— don't leave the tree. And ho- again, horror movie vibes. It's like the stupid people who are like, oh, they said not to leave. Let's leave.
1: Yeah, for real. And
0: the like creepy, pterodactyl kind of things that come up to the car. Like, I was literally like, this is a horror movie. Here it is. They're going to die. Like, I would not want to see this in theaters.
1: <laughs> I've been waiting for these. I want it to be a TV show, but like a limited series. But,
0: well, for sure. So you can get more content. Yeah.
1: But we'll see. I, I, I don't think it's ever going to get made. It doesn't have quite the notoriety, I think, that it would need. But it would, it would make such a good series. Oh
0: my god, a horror series?
1: Not a horror <laughs> series, anyway. I think so. But that kind of leaves us at the end of the reading. Like we didn't have that much plot. Basically, we know that D is about to attack Hecate's shadow realm with the Morrigan and Bastet. Bastet being the Egyptian cat goddess. She's a first generation elder. The Morrigan is a second generation or next generation, and the three of them are about to attack the Shadow Realm.
0: And inside the Shadow Realm, the twins are trying to come to terms with everything, and Flamel asks Hecate to awaken their powers, which she now is saying that she doesn't want to do that. She says it's supposed to be done slowly, and basically Flamel is asking her to overdrive their senses to make them be able to tap into magic.
1: Yeah, does that make sense? Like, do you have any questions on the awakening? Because it's kind of, I don't think we've gotten too much of an explanation, but I can, like, explain it if you need to.
0: So my understanding is that they have magical powers inside them already, like, especially if they're part of this prophecy, they can see their auras and how they said the magic is all about them manipulating their auras. So basically what he's saying is, He wants Hecate to, like, fast forward the process, whereas normally I would assume they have to train and it takes time for them to learn how to do that. Whereas, I guess, is she just going to be able to, like, snap her fingers and it would
1: happen? Yeah, that's kind of exactly what it is. I mean, not, like, detail-wise, but, like, that is the gist of it. Basically, that everyone has the potential to do magic, but it's something that you learn really slowly because it basically involves you being much more sensitive. You have to, like, understand more things, see more things, hear better, like, all of your senses actually get, like, have to be more developed, which is how you can, like, pick up on your aura and stuff like that. And...
0: Okay. And you said everyone. Anyone. Anyone could do it's it. not... So they're not necessarily special. I mean, they're special in that they might be part of the specific And their prophecy. auras are
1: special, but...
0: Okay, but their aura... But you could learn it. So- like,
1: Flamel, he's not very special at all. It's the fact that he does alchemy and he <laughs> got his hands on the book that made him special. But his aura isn't even special. Like, Perry, she's very special because of her aura.
0: Special. Okay. But he, That makes sense.
1: Like, yeah. And so the way that you would naturally train someone, the way that Perry and Nick did it, if I remember correctly, is, like, over months, years, you learn slowly and you build up your senses. And that makes you able to, like, grasp at the magic. But they don't have very much time. So what Nick is, some elders have the power to basically, like, fast track the process just turn all of your senses up like 500%. That makes you like able to much more in tune with the magic and then you can learn the individual the wind, water, fire. You can learn all of those things once your senses are turned on. But basically Nick is asking for them to get fast tracked and it's a really dangerous process because if you go from like imagine going from not from being blind to seeing like how Matt how overwhelming that would be, imagine that in all five of your senses. Because basically what the process is, and we'll get this explained next section, but I can just say it now, is basically that all of your senses get way turned on. So imagine all of your senses, all of a sudden, like you can't feel things, and all of a sudden you can feel every texture in the world. And so it's really overwhelming, and people sometimes die from it. So that's why Hecate is like, I don't really think we should do this. So she's,
0: yeah, probably very reasonably being like, this is not a good idea. Yeah,
1: because it is something that normally is done over, like, a process. And is like, but you are one of the few elders who can flip the switch.
0: Okay. So, yeah, that that all makes sense because that ties into something Nicholas had said earlier, how he told Mm -hmm. them now that they've entered this magical world that they need to wait, look, notice – and pay attention because you, you'll you be able to catch the little nuances that point to, like, there's a trap there or something. So, very interesting. That was a great explanation. I'm having a much better understanding now. But I still... <laughs> I still don't like this world. It sounds kind of terrible and scary. And I don't know if I survive or want to survive just because... Just love the fact that, like, things seem to, like, a little bit too scary for me, which I know for me, like, I'm one of those people, like, I would never want to be, like, how I know people get really obsessed with certain storylines or movies or books, and they're like, I want to be in the story. Like, no, I no. do not want to be in this story. Right now, absolutely not.
1: Wait till you get to book three, the plot in book three and the plot in book six, if I remember correctly. Again, I could be completely wrong. Like... We're gonna get real dark. Um.
0: Yeah, like I'm enjoying being an observer, a reader right now. I don't need to. Uh, I don't need yeah, to be when, in the story.
1: When people got into Hunger Games and they were deciding what district they'd come from, I was like, be absolutely in the story. not, no. absolutely not. I don't think like, any.
0: The only book I think I'd want to be a character in is Twilight because I'd want to be a vampire. You're immortal. You, you have all the powers. No,
1: Harry Potter. And Wand. Harry, po- easy no. Harry magic. Potter, easy control magic.
0: Evil people, spiders, snakes. Terrible. There are evil people
1: and vampires, too.
0: Yeah, but you're a vampire, so it's an equal playing field. And Okay, but you I'd can make a...
1: yourself immortal by killing people in Harry Potter, so.
0: Okay, evil, dark, terrible, so no. That's why I'm saying, like, the only book I think, because, yeah, I love Hunger Games, too. I would not want to be in Hunger Games. No, I,
1: who would want to be in one of the districts? They're all terrible. Hero, people like, who
0: have a hero complex or are very courageous. They'd want to be like Katniss Everdeen. Some people want to be the hero. I would not. She lives in serfdom. I do not want to be, well, not by the end. By the end, she's the hero who saved, okay. Yeah, we're... with
1: major, major PTSD. We're safe. Hunger Games is later on down We're, the line. we're getting,
0: oh, we're jumping all over the place.
1: <laughs> this is the problem of the two hosts having a bunch of different books, and one in common or two that, like, we're just going to draw on at all times. But we'll get to Hunger Games eventually. I think I would love this world because I love the magic and I love the explanation of the way the magic feeds from your aura. But we'll see. And I think that kind of leaves us on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Paranel still being held by D. We're waiting for the attack. Asia, do you have any other questions I can answer for you before we go into the next reading?
0: I don't think so right now. I think you answered a lot of my questions, and I'm just I'm excited to keep reading and learn more. Mm-hmm. Also, oh no, I do have one question. I almost forgot. The question I have was... For D, I wrote this down, I think, at the very end of the reading. I mm-hmm. just was a thought that had been crossing my mind. Didn't D or doesn't he ever think that these Dark Elders are just using him to steal the Codex and once they have it, they have the entire book in it and, it's in, and everything, they're just going to toss him aside? Like, he's still technically a human, and as we've said, some of the Dark Elders eat humans and hate humans, so why would he think... That even if he's helping them, like, they're ultimately the ones in power. So I just, I don't understand, like, is that something that's going to come up or?
1: I'm not quite sure. That's a really good question. I think it does come up again near the end of the series, but I'm really not sure. I do think that D does have that thought a couple times. It will, like, he will have to deal with that question of whether or not, like, the elders are going to betray him. I think it's a really good observation because it is really valid question like we've seen they're pretty ruthless already so there's no reason to think that he's not like that he's extra safe but we do know that d and we'll find this out that d is extra powerful there's a lot of things that he can do in the modern human world that elders can't just because he has access and he looks like a human so he's a really effective agent for them And he's really a really excellent magician and necromancer and like he just has a lot of powers that makes him a really useful tool. And, but he, he is also very selfish and he will be looking out for himself. So do keep an eye on that. I think that's a really good observation though.
0: Okay. Cause it's just like, I feel like whenever you're working, you know, for like the evil side, if you aren't actually one of them, it is kind of like, it's not the same trust that's usually in the good side where, you know, when you're they're usually, they're trusting and everything. Whereas here, I feel like, like you said, he should be looking out for himself because I just don't see how they wouldn't just toss him away once they have what they want.
1: I mean, even Luke in Percy Jackson, like, he was just there. He wasn't an actual titan. So, Kronos really just was using him until he could get a body, and then he was prepared for Luke's soul to be completely destroyed so that he could permanently have that new body.
0: Yeah. So, you asked me this after our first Percy Jackson episode. But how are you feeling about the characters? Do you identify with one or more of them, more?
1: So I think I always, I did this when I read them the first time, and I still do now or I have so far. I've always identified more with Sophie of the twins. She's a slightly older one. She plays the very parental role in their relationship. I mean, I can't say that one of them is smarter, but like my cockiness probably makes me want to be the smarter one. So I definitely think that I relate to Sophie more. And also she's a little more calculating. And I, I I just like Sophie a lot. So she's definitely the one that I would relate to more. Of the couple, I definitely always related to Paranel more than Nicholas. She's really, really fierce. Like I said, wait till you see some of her... I mean, she already can talk, send messages through ghosts. She's pretty cool. But she's got a bu- bunch of other run, fun powers. So I really like Perry. And... I think that I have a lot of favorite characters come in the next book. I don't want to spoil, but I think that they're the three main immortal humans that we meet in the next book are three of my favorites in the whole series. One of them is bad and two of them are good. And I really like them. So I can't really remember what happens in... I think I remember most of what happens in the next book. I hardly remember three, four, five five. I remember parts of six, and I remember really not liking the ending, but I don't really remember a lot of what's coming on. I'm sure, like, as we read it, I'll get glimpses, kind of like you did. But, like, character-wise, I think that a lot of the really great characters come next book. But definitely, like, I'm team Sophie, if if I'm choosing a twin. What about you?
0: Well, I don't know if I'm team Josh, but Mm -hmm. I definitely wrote down immediately that he's the one who's afraid of everything and he says particularly spiders and scorpions so you know I can relate to that and just between the two of them he does seem like he's more of the scared one which like I said I don't even want to be in the world so I know that that's me between the two twins <laughs> but as far as favorite characters I already said Perenelle Perry she seems like the coolest so I I'd she'd be who I'd strive to be but I don't actually yeah. want to be her because, again, I don't want to be in the story. I'm an observer.
1: <laughs> well, I really hope that I'm, like, not hyping her up too much and that she's going to let us down. I don't think she will, but I think she has a lot of fun stuff coming up.
0: Well, just so far, I mean, like you said, just the fact of she can cover up her aura colors, she can talk to ghosts, she's just this really accomplished, like, sorceress, that alone.
1: All the spells she uses, and she always gives, like, indigenous credit to the comp- to this shaman who taught her. She's like this one I learned in the mountains in Italy and this one I learned with Native Americans in Alaska. Like she's just like she's got so many skills. Yeah,
0: she's definitely like I said, coolest character, favorite character for me.
1: Yeah. Well, I hope that continues. Before we wrap it up, I want to mention the product that i project that I mentioned earlier on. You, we're going to meet a lot of elders and we're going to learn their relationships and we're going to le- meet a lot of immortal humans who are sworn to elders. And I wanted to basically make a list as I'm going this time of what generation, what rank each character is and how they're related. And I'm like, think I might have to like draw a family tree or like a family web and add to it as we go along. Because you'll see we have so many characters and I always wanted to do it. But I was like, I, to do this best, I would have to like reread from the beginning. But now we're reading for the podcast. So... We don't have that many characters yet, but like we have Nick and Parnell who are ke- immortal humans, kept alive by the Codex. We have Dr. John D. He's immortal, but we don't know who his Dark Elder Master is. We have Scaddy, who's an elder of the next generation. And we're going to meet some of her relatives in the second half of this book. And then we have the Morrigan, who's a crow goddess. And she had two sisters who are dead. And we get pretty heavy indications that she kind of absorbed their energy. And she's a dark elder Next Generation. And then we have Hecate, who's a first-generation elder, goddess of three faces. And her sister, who we're about to meet, or we kind of met very near the end, is Bastet, the cat goddess. And she's a dark elder, first generation. So I might be, like, drawing this up. I don't know. until we ha- When we have more characters, I'll have a better view of it but i'll probably like be sharing that online as we go along because that'll be something that i'm doing as we go but anything else we want to talk about before we wrap up
0: i think i'm all done i think i'm just i can't wait to keep reading and we're going to be finishing the alchemist for next week so if you're reading along with us go ahead and finish the book
1: yeah i can't wait to see more magic we have a lot of action coming up so, and we get some D powers. We haven't seen a lot of, like, we've seen D do cool stuff, but, like, he's going to do some really awesome stuff soon. Evil, but awesome. If you do have any predictions or theories or questions or comments, you remember, you can always stay in touch with us on the Nerd Party website. You can find us. Head over to the slash contact. You select Throwback Paperback. You can send us an email there. Get in touch with the network on Twitter. At Joy Nerd Party or on Instagram at The Nerd Party or on Facebook at The Nerd Party. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at C.E. Sheeland on both Twitter and Instagram. Asia, what are you laughing at? You can't see this because she's a podcast, but she's laughing at me.
0: You just really struggled through that paragraph.
1: (laughs) I don't know. How many times have I done the outro at this point? Like we've done what, 12 episodes? I've probably done half of them. Just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact. You'll find us there.
0: It's just funny because we're reading the script and – or I'm reading along with him and I see him like, oh, he messed up there. Messed up there.
1: <laughs> it's not a script. It's an outline. I don't have to go word for word. It, I wrote it.
0: But I, I know you, so I know and it's like, oh, he messed up, so he's like trying to save
1: it. <laughs> trying to get back on.
0: Anyway. And I'm at asiabonia on Twitter and at asia.bonia on Instagram. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week.
1: Yeah, hit that subscribe. Have a good one. We'll finish the book next week. You have a good one. See you next week. Bye-bye.